0: Today we're going to start a new series, and our series is entitled, if you look on the front of your programs, Construction Zone, because every one of us is a construction project. We're a work in progress. If you believe that you have arrived at your destination, yikes, yikes, because that's heaven. And uh, if you've gotten to the end of your Christian life here, you accomplished everything you need to do, then it's time to move on. Uh, But I believe that God has left us here, and he's left us here for a purpose. And uh, so we want to be well-equipped in order to accomplish that purpose. So for the next three weeks, four weeks counting today, we're going to talk about constructing a good spiritual life. Today we're going to talk about constructing character. Next week we're going to be talking about constructing relationships. Uh, Actually, next week we're going to talk about constructing faith. Then the third week we're going to talk about constructing relationships. And then the final fourth week, we're going to talk about what does all of that look like? How should it look like when we reach maturity? Okay. And so I'll be here for all of those because each one of us, like I said, is a work in progress. And I pray that you'll go on the journey, but you'll not just learn some stuff, but you will change as a result of what you've learned. Uh, Let's take a look at what Peter has to share with us today about constructing character. We find ourselves in 2 Peter chapter 1 uh, starting in verse 3. And here's what Peter says. He says his and when he says his he's talking about God, okay? So God's divine power has given us, that's all of us here today, everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Though these through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires now how many of you believe that you need something in order to grow spiritually just lift your hand up okay i want you to know i want you to take you back to verse number three it says he his divine power has already given us everything we need for a godly life did you know that You have everything that you need for a godly life. Now, I believe that the reason we think that we need more stuff is because we have some misconceptions and we fall into one of two traps. The first trap is that all the pressure is on me. I believe that all the pressure is on me to behave. Now, uh, I don't know about your experience growing up in the church, but in my experience growing up in the church, it was the the main emphasis was on behaving properly not being anything but just make sure you behave properly so if you were angry on the inside a good christian would just smile on the outside you know now does that sound a little duplicitous to you you know a little fake yeah and christianity is not designed to be fake so therefore Real spirituality would be to smile on the inside during those times where I'm feeling real unhappy and projecting that then to the outside. Okay. So now being is as important as doing. In fact, I'm going to say that being is more important than doing. Being on the inside, being Christian on the inside, is more important than acting like a Christian on the outside. Sooner or later... You're going to get the toothpaste test. You know what the toothpaste test is? You're going to get squeezed. Okay? What do you get when you squeeze your toothpaste tube? Oh, wow. Toothpaste. Okay? You get toothpaste because what's on the inside under pressure gets on the outside. And you're going to get squeezed, and whatever's on the inside is going to come out on the outside. Okay? If you have anger, you have bitterness, you have resentment, whatever it might be, when under pressure, it's going to come out to the outside. Now, we think that all the pressure is on me to behave properly. I want you to know that's not Christian maturity. That's not even Christian growth. It's not even Christian. Okay? Because Christian believe, Christians believe in what? Integrity. Okay? Integrity means that whatever is on the inside of me is what comes out on the outside of me. Okay? So if I'm angry and I'm an integrous person, then I'm going to be angry on the outside, right? That's integrity. If I'm happy on the inside and it comes out happy on the outside, that's integrity. It means that what's on the inside gets on the outside. So, to change us, we don't change the outside, do we? We change the inside. And Peter here has told us that God's divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Okay? So, the pressure's not on you. In 1 Corinthians 15.33, I don't have this for you, but you might want to just jot it down. It says, bad company corrupts good morals, right? And so what do we do? We try to avoid bad company. You know? And so we get in this idea, because all the pressure's on me, that I have to avoid things. Avoid things. Avoid, avoid, avoid. I have to avoid sinful thoughts. I have to avoid sinful practices. I have to avoid sinful people. I have to avoid, avoid, avoid. But what I want you to start thinking about is, I need to include I need to include good people in my life because they will have the same kind of influence on me. They will influence me to do good. I need to include uh, good habits in my life because that will produce good things in my life. I need to change the inside of me because that will make me integrous. And then what is on the inside comes on the outside. Now, the second thing that we have to get over and the second trap that we fall into is that we kind of think that my growth should happen instantly. You know, I should just change. You know, God has the power to change you instantly, doesn't he? However, your effort many times needs to accompany his power. You need to cooperate with what he has done. And many times it doesn't happen instantly. And one of the things I think we fall victim to is we fall victim to this instant gratification society. How many of you, when you go get fast food, you want it fast? Okay, I do. You know, I don't like to wait for fast food you know, that just is just counterproductive. It's just not, it's not integrous. Fast food should be fast. It should be good. It should be served with a smile. You know, when I think about customer service, you know, I want customer service. Uh, And if I don't get that, I just get a little disappointed, you know, because I want everything. I want it my way right away. Okay. Don't you? Okay, so we get into this instant gratification society. And so we start thinking that my Christian growth should happen pretty instantly. I hope it happens fast for you. I hope it does. But if it does not, we're going to learn some things today that will cause us to persevere. Okay, now there's a couple of other fill ins here on the two traps. And usually we are concerned with how fast we grow, how fast we grow. You know what God's concerned about? God's concerned about how strong we grow how strong we go, and how we can stand up under that pressure. And when we get down to talking about perseverance, that, that, that word Greek word is macrothumia. It means to be able to bear up under the pressure of whatever it is that's trying to get us off track. Philippians 1.6, when we have this promise from God. It says this, and, and Paul writing the Philippian church says, and in his prayer at the beginning of the chapter, he kind of concludes it with this. Being confident of this. Okay, he's prayed for the Philippian church and he's confident in this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Until Christ Jesus returns. He's going to carry on that transformational process in your life so that you become more and more, ever and ever, more like Jesus every day of your life. So let's ask the question, how do we build character? Well, Peter here is going to give us some good things. But first thing I want us to do is to learn from our mistakes. Okay, learn from your mistakes. How many of you have ever made a mistake? Okay, how many of you have ever had a Southwest moment? You know, Southwest Airlines moment. You want to get away? You know, you've done something. It's kind of embarrassing and everybody's looking at you. And the the tagline of Southwest Airlines commercial comes on. You want to get away? Oh, yeah. We want to get away. I remember one time uh, when I was new in the ministry, I had a, a senior pastor that he was kind of taking me under his wing, teaching me how to do stuff. And so if you don't like what I do, blame him. Um, but he, he took me on a, on a funeral with him one time. And he says, Mike, what I want you to do is I want you to read John 11. And I'm certain he said, John eleven thirty five. Okay, You know John eleven thirty five. Okay, if you go, if you know the five, seven basic Sunday school answers, you know that the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Thank you, I knew somebody here had to know it. The shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept, and that's the one I thought he told me to talk about. So I get up, you know, to start the the service, and I read John eleven thirty five, gave a little background about it, you know, about Lazarus and everything, and uh, and I said, you know, and we come to a uh, time in, in life where, you know, it's okay to cry because we're going to miss and this gentleman that we were doing the service for. We're going to miss him. And that's, we should have some emotional attachment to that. and It's okay to cry, you know? And so I ended that with a little prayer and then he did his thing and we got in the car to go back to the church. And he said, you know, we got in the car and I'm pretty proud of myself. You know, I thought I tied that together real well, uh, you know, cause I thought that was kind of a strange verse. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, we got through it and, I was pretty proud of my participation there. And uh, he said, Mike, next time I tell you to read John eleven twenty five, 25, I want you to read John 11, 25. You know what John eleven twenty five 25 says? That's when Jesus responds to Mary, and, he, said, uh, and he, says, uh, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Big difference. Big difference. And I just went, I want to get away. I want to get away. Learn from your mistakes. Now, some of the mistakes we make are just simple mistakes like that. Some of the mistakes we make are mistakes of character. Okay, mistakes of character. Have you ever slandered someone and you just, oh man, I wish I hadn't done that. You really come out and, and been forceful about your opinions about some people and you wish you hadn't. Well, let's learn from our mistakes, okay? Don't relegate your mistakes to oblivion and say, I'm not going to think about them anymore, but let's learn from them so that we don't repeat them. The second thing that I want us to do, and this is where I really want to spend the bulk of our time, is to make a conscious effort to add to your character. Make a conscious effort to add to your character. Now, if you've ever read this passage of Scripture before, Peter goes on in verses 5 through 7, and he starts by saying, for this very reason. Now, what reason did he give? And I'm going to give you several reasons, because God has divine power, okay? Okay. He's given us everything we need for a godly life. He's given us everything we need for a godly life. God's already done that. Now he says that he's given us everything we need to live a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Okay, So you can take those all those descriptors there and you can just put the word Jesus. Through our knowledge of Jesus, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Now, What do we need to live a godly life? We already have it, right? We have some of it, but it's a knowledge of Jesus. The more you get to know Jesus, the more you will live a godly life. What we have a tendency to do is think all the pressure's on me, and so therefore I need to learn how to behave properly. Well, that's partially true. But the way that we learn to behave properly is by following the leader. Following the leader, who is Jesus, and as we read about him, and he navigates through the the towns and the avenues of life that he encounters, and the way that he interacts with people, if we did that same thing, we would grow exponentially in our spiritual growth, because we would be following the leader. Now, he gives us some specifics here. He says, uh, to your faith, okay, that's the beginning point, faith. He says, to your faith, I want you to add something. And the first thing he says that he wants us to add is goodness. To your faith, I want you to add goodness. Now, why is, do you think Peter wants us to add goodness right off the bat? Because that's a character quality, not something that you learn. Okay, It's a character. And it becomes the impetus for which, from which you do everything else. If I'm doing my stuff out of goodness, I'm not doing it out of selfish ambition. I'm not doing it out of self-recognition. I'm not doing it to be boastful. I'm doing it out of goodness. Now, if we look at this word goodness, what we're going to find is that it's character development. I'm going to do some things for someone else's benefit, not for my own benefit. Okay, So goodness has this element of doing it for others, So that they can be the beneficiaries of my action. So, if I establish that right up front, okay, I've got faith, I trust God, okay, and I'm gonna follow Him. Now, I'm I'm gonna get my focus off of my vertical relationship a little bit and get it on my horizontal relationships with other people, and I'm going to do things that are good for them, okay? Good in the sense of what God determines is good, okay? I'm gonna do good for them. Now, it comes to the third thing. He says, and to your goodness, I want you to add knowledge. Okay. Now, if I've already established that my faith is a goodness-based faith, then when it comes to acquiring knowledge, you know what I don't become? I don't become proud. Okay. I don't become a braggart. I don't become kind of self-indulgent. Because what does knowledge do? In fact, the Bible teaches very clearly that knowledge does what? It puffs us up, okay. makes us proud of what we know. And have you ever been proud that you knew something that somebody else didn't know? You know, in your maybe relationships. <laughs> okay. Sometimes we do that. We are proud that we knew something that they didn't know. And it makes us, you know, kind of puffed up and arrogant. But if my, if my faith is tempered already with goodness, then my knowledge doesn't puff me up. Okay, because now my knowledge is for your benefit too, and what I learn, I want you to be the beneficiary of. So Hosea four six. Now Hosea delivers kind of a, a prophecy to the people, and the people of Israel, uh, Judah and Israel, they have they've they've wandered far from God. They've wandered far from God. They practiced religions that they should have never practiced. And so this is what God delivers to the children of Israel through the prophet Hosea. He says, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of God, I also will ignore your children. And God delivers this scathing the indictment and this scathing judgment on the people of Israel because they have replaced their knowledge of God with their own selfish ambition and their own puffed up knowledge. We know better than God. You know, he tells us we shouldn't worship foreign gods, but it's good for us to do this because you know, it gets us in with the people around us and it get, makes us feel like we're kind of going with the culture. And do we not do the same today? Sometimes we do. You know, we feel like we need to be in touch with the culture, so we practice some things that maybe God says, you know, that's opposed to the knowledge of God. And so we need to be careful about our knowledge. So add to your goodness, your desire to help other people. I want you to add knowledge. Now, what has Peter said about growing spiritually? He says we will grow spiritually. We'll have everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Jesus. Okay, we'll have everything we need for spiritual growth through our knowledge of Jesus. So add to your knowledge. And, you know, you can, there's a lot of things you could learn huh? in knowledge. But I want you to focus on the knowledge of Jesus. Read through the Gospels. You know, I I want you to read through the Gospels frequently. Okay? Frequently. So that you walk with Jesus through his life and you figure out why does he do what he does? How does he do what he does? What are people affected by what he does? So follow Jesus, learn from him, and add to your goodness knowledge. Now, Sometimes knowledge can run amok, can't it? You know, and once you start learning stuff, you start down various paths, and and you can get sidetracked, can't you? Okay? We can get very easily sidetracked. So add to your knowledge some self control. Some self control. Now, this doesn't mean that self control in the aspect of doing this apart from God, but self control means keeping your focus on the target. Okay? practice self-control so that you can keep your focus on the target, which is Jesus. First so, Corinthians 618. Now, if we want to live a godly life and we want to live with self-control, I'm going to suggest that there's two things in our culture today that will just mess you up when it comes to self-control. Number one is sex. Number two is money. OK, now nowhere does the Bible teach that Christians shouldn't be rich. OK. Everywhere in the Bible, it teaches that Christians should be, should have fidelity in their relationships. Okay? They should have fidelity. They should not be sleeping around. Okay? So he says in 1 Corinthians 6 18, uh, Paul, once again, talking to the Corinthian church, he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And there are numerous scriptures about the love of money. The love of money is what? The root of no, it's not the root of all evil. Okay, there's evil that comes to you that has nothing to do with money. Okay, isn't it? Yeah. But it's the root of all sorts of evil. If you read carefully, it talks about all sorts of evil. So it's not all evil. All evil is not money related. Some evil is selfish related, some evil is sexual related. So therefore, be careful. About your self control. Make sure that your self control keeps you focused on the target. And the target is getting to the knowledge of Jesus so that my life, my spiritual growth can happen. Okay? So now, to your self control, I want you to add, Peter wants us to add, perseverance. Perseverance. Spiritual growth is easy as long as it's happening quickly, right? As long as it's snapping right along, you know, and I can just learn and learn and learn and learn and learn and learn and just grow and grow and grow and grow but sometimes we take a step back. Sometimes we will hit a roadblock. Sometimes we'll have something really difficult happen in our life, okay? And that's when perseverance begins, okay? When something difficult happens, when you have a setback, when you have a failure, that's when perseverance begins. And so therefore, be ready for it. It's kind of like Charlie Brown. You know, Charlie Brown always wanted to be a big league baseball player, you know? And uh, one day he's out there in the, in the sandlot and Lucy's in the dugout with him and he's up to bat and uh, he strikes out. He comes back to the dugout. Lucy kind of slides over by him and, uh, and he says, Lucy, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to make it to the big leagues. I want to play baseball. I want to be in the big leagues. I want to I really do well. But man, I just don't have it. And she just looks at him for a minute and she says, you know what? you need to set some short-range immediate goals. Don't focus on that long one out there of becoming major league professional player, but set short-term goals. And he says, well, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. What should I do? She says, well, at the end of this inning, when you go out to pitch and you go to climb on that mound there, that pitching mound, don't fall. That's the end of the story, folks that's where you should chuckle a little bit. Just don't fall. Because how many times have we gone out there to persevere and we've fallen? You know, We've fallen and we go, ah. And what do we do when we fall? We believe like Charlie Brown, oh, it's never going to get better. I'm going to be a failure. I'm never going to get to where I need to be. And so therefore, when you believe that, what do you do? You quit. You quit. You do not persevere. And I'm going to suggest to you that the person who wins is the person who perseveres. If you look at people all over the spectrum of of occupations, you'll find people who were not good the first time they did something. In fact, Abraham Lincoln, how many elections do you think he lost before he won the presidency of the United States? Many, many. Michael Jordan, he didn't even make his high school basketball team. Okay? He failed. But those guys who have... The tenacity to persevere will be the ones who ultimately succeed. So I want you to learn perseverance. Okay, I want you to learn perseverance. Now, next thing. And you'll notice this starting to peak here. And to your perseverance, I want you to add godliness, godliness. Now, sometimes we think about godliness as the end result. Okay? I've I've grown as a Christian. I become I do this stuff and I've really changed my inside. And now I am a godly person. Well, I want you to know that this word godliness here really has to do with the appropriate belief and the devout practices regarding God. Okay, appropriate belief and devout practices. Okay, believe right and do right. But you notice those are in a very strange combination there. It begins with believing right. So becoming a Christian on the interior so that what you do on the outside exhibits what you are in the inside. And once again, we call that what? Integrity. Integrity. What is on the inside gets to the outside. So appropriate belief. How do you establish the appropriate belief about God? You follow Jesus. You follow Jesus. You read through the Gospels and you see when he comes to feeding the 4,000, the 5,000, and he has to change the belief of the disciples. The disciples, what do they believe? Well, gee, they believe in the physical realm. And all they believe is in the physical realm. And so therefore, we've got to feed 4,000, 5,000 people. We don't have enough resources to do that. So therefore, they default to we can't. We can't do it. And Jesus says, no, I need to change the way you believe because that will change the way that you act. So he blesses the food, gives it to them to distribute. They go distribute it and they feed everybody. Everybody's full and then they collect the leftovers, which is far more in the leftovers than what they had originally to start with. So Jesus changes the way they think. Now it took them several lessons. Okay, they, they feed 4,000 one time, they feed 5,000 one time. It took them two lessons and they both, default, both times they defaulted to the same faulty thinking that we can't do this. Jesus had to change the way they think, the way they believed. So when you change the way you believe, it will change the way you practice your Christian life. What's on the inside gets to the outside. And pretty soon you find yourself being bold, being courageous, doing stuff that you never thought you would do before. Okay, so to to your godliness, I want you to add mutual affection. Peter says, I want you to establish mutual affection. Now, how do you establish mutual affection? You hang around with people. You can't establish mutual affection without hanging around the body of Christ. There are a lot of people in the world today that believe that, you know, I can just watch TV and get my, get my church on TV. And they can learn knowledge, they can get a lot of knowledge, but they can never develop mutual affection by watching TV. You know, it's, it's hard to do. It's hard for me to say, you know, that person sitting right down there in front of the pastor on TV, man, I have some affection for that guy right there. I don't, because I don't know him. But when we get around each other, it gives us a chance to establish mutual affection. I tell you, when Nancy Lee called me this last week and said she had fallen, broke her nose, crushed her shoulder, uh, had to have a shoulder replacement, man, I, man, I, I was concerned. It, it hurt me to know that she was hurt that badly. And she's an independent lady, I want you to know. So for her to go and stay with her daughter and son-in-law, huge But man, it broke my heart to know that she was in that much discomfort, that much pain. But she wanted us to know that she trusts her God. That's one of the things she said, I want you to pray for me. But you know, I trust God and I know that he's going to do whatever he needs to do with me. I said, that's right on. That's right. But nonetheless, we know that God's going to take care of her. Right. We know that God's going to get her all together and we know that God's going to solve the situation. But nonetheless, our affection for her should cause us to have some kind of emotional response to that. Okay. Now, this mutual affection is affection for one's fellow believers, people that we rub shoulders with every Sunday and hopefully more often than that. We need to learn to get together, you know, after church. We need to learn to get together, have lunch together, go to, you know, pick somebody and go to have lunch with them, Uh, enjoy their company, learn about their life, learn about what the things are that connect you together. Okay. now the pinnacle here is then to add to your affection, add to your mutual affection, love, love. Now, that's the that's the pinnacle of the of the whole uh, character building scheme. Add love to your mutual affection. Take it to the next level. And love means wanting God's best for someone else and being willing to provide it. Wanting God's best for somebody and to, to the best of my capabilities, if I have the resources, I want to provide that. Okay. Now we have what do we have? We have all the resources we need for a godly life, right? And people need help in their spiritual maturity. So you have what you need. Develop it so that it becomes an avenue for you to love other people by giving them what they need that God wants them to have and being willing to provide that for them. So add love to that. It's kind of like Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It says this in verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good needs. Have you ever thought about spurring someone on? Have you ever seen a rodeo? You know, have you ever seen the cowboy spur the horse? Think it's a little painful? Could be, you know? Could be a little painful when you get a kick in the in the whatever it is that they kick them, you know, with a little spur, you know, and it causes them to to move and do what they want them to do. But, but here, the writer of Hebrews says, let us consider, let's think about how we can be that kind of a, uh, a spur to other people so that they will do love and good deeds. We need to do that together. When we're having lunch together, when we're having our fellowship times together, whatever it is that we're doing, let's make sure that we're concerned. How can we love other people? Now, this next Saturday, we have a great opportunity. And many of you know uh, Laverne Vauder. Laverne has asked us to come and help her out in her apartment. She needs some rails and stuff put up and some shelves and a ceiling fan and stuff. And we need some people to come and help us do that. Uh, I figure, what do we figure? We need about six people to come and do the actual work. We need about 15 other people come to just hang out. Okay. So if you can do some work, come and do some work. If you can come and hang out and, and bless, uh, bless uh, Laverne with your presence and, and encouragement, come and do that. Uh, but we're going to do that this next Saturday at 9 a.m. Uh, and she lives on Dover Avenue, right by the cl- health club. What's it? Dover Estates. Is it do- Dover? Yeah, call me if you're going to come. Near Marigold. Yeah. Where? Marigold. Yeah, it's near Marigold. And uh, it's a senior adult living uh, space there. Uh, she is in number 812. That's one of those things where I know how to get you there, but I don't know how to tell you. Okay. Okay. So let us consider how we may spur one another, love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Okay, and that, that, make sure that we get together, uh, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's get together every Sunday so that we can figure out how to spur each other on to love and good deeds. And we got a chance this next Saturday to do some love and good deeds with Laverne. Okay. Number three, and this is where we're gonna. Leave it today. Let your growth be effective and productive. Okay, that's what he says here in verses 8 and 9. 2 Peter 1, 8 and 9. For if you possess these qualities, and what qualities is he talking about? Okay, let's go back and review them. He's talking about faith. He's talking about goodness. He's talking about knowledge. He's talking about self-control. He's talking about perseverance, talking about godliness, mutual affection, and love. He says if you have those qualities, okay, if you possess those qualities, And notice what he says. Don't just have them, but in increasing measure, you will get more and more persevering. You will get more and more loving. You'll get more and more mutual affection. You'll get more and more godliness. If you're progressing in that, he says, if you possess these qualities in in increasing measure, measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says... In order to gain knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, you need to have all of those qualities in increasing measure because they are what emulate the life of Christ. So to get to know him means that you get to do it. You get to do the things that Jesus did. He says in verse number nine, he gives us the the downside to it. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. In other words, we got cleansed from our past sins. We got this faith, but we're not practicing it, and so we 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 lose sight. We lose sight of what the goal is. And the goal is what? The goal is to be effective and productive. Okay? Effective and productive. And I want you to write down two words, okay? Write down two words. One is um, redemption.